Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. The corporate world transitioned quickly to working from home and endless video chats when the pandemic struck. The transition for our healthcare system, while keeping patients at the forefront, was much more complex. How did our clinicians manage to keep hospitals open and functioning for those who needed them, meet the potential demands of COVID surges, and transition care safely where possible? While I would say dedication and a little creativity, I'll defer to them. have actually COVID to thank for this research or this showcase project because without COVID I was probably going to be spending time developing a model for food pharmacy during the early stages of 2020 so you know sometimes good things happen out of events like this. So I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we all meet today. I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past and present. Um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people hold a deep connection to their country throughout Australia, including the resources they provide. The care shown to maintain and preserve the land for thousands of years has ensured that the traditional foods and eating of food always has and always will hold significance in the way that it connects us all. In terms of some context about what I'm here to speak to you about, the project that I conducted actually occurred on the Maranoa LGA, so the local government area. We have about 12,000 residents within the Maranoa LGA across 5.8 million hectares. If we're talking, talking stocking density or population density, that's zero persons per hectare. Just for some context, within the Brisbane region, we're talking 1.4 persons per hectare. So a little bit of a change of pace, a bit, bit smaller region. Um, geographical area of about half the size of Victoria, though. Includes the towns of Roma, Injun, Surat, Wollambilla and Mitchell. Um, some of the characteristics for our community are the rural and remote classification. We have a low mean income. Um, primary production is probably the major source of that income, also natural resources. Um, high rates of unemployment, especially in those outerlying towns. Um, low socioeconomic status to, or CEPA index to back that up. We've probably heard it over and over again um, that the more rural and remote that one lives, the greater health disparities, including barriers to health services, ex accessing those serv services and a shorter life expectancy. Like I said, I was pretty interested in developing something for food pharmacy in the early stages of 20, 2020, sorry. I knew that there was a bit of an issue of food insecurity within our communities, especially in some of the more remote communities. COVID gave me that opportunity to take a change of pace and tackle this a little bit more strategically. It allowed me the time to quantify um, this problem within the community. Food insecurity um, is defined as any time that an individual has run out of food or is, not any, or is not able to procure it for any reason. 
not having enough food to eat or not having a food, enough food within the house, being able to purchase it or being able to utilise the food that is available can severely impact everyday function and wellbeing. And I guess that really kind of goes hand in hand with when we're talking about COVID-19, um, how can we expect our patients to recover to their full ability if they're not being fed properly as well? A lot of people attribute food insecurity to um, lethargy, tiredness, decline in mental health and a lack of confidence as well because they don't have the food. A food bank report actually estimated that about 15% of Australians have experienced food insecurity in the last 12 months. That was actually 2017 data and occurring probably to the frequency of once a month. Um, the scary thing is that a lot of these families have a lot of dependent children in that family structure, which is quite concerning to me. Disproportionately affects the Indigenous population. Now, when we think back to COVID-19 and when it first took grip in, say, around February, April, somewhere in there, what we actually saw was the supermarkets stripped bare um, through panic buying, socially irresponsible purchasing, um, which influenced our ability to access food. We also saw restriction in movement, which restricted our ability to go and procure food. Um, what food we were able to get our hands on, if there was flour and sugar left in the stores and we all raced to grab those types of items, we actually didn't know what to do with that. Um, so I dare say there's a lot of flour and sugar still sitting in pantries all across Queensland that hasn't, hasn't been used, a lot of bread making kits as well. And I think that those, those three factors also can be seen right up the top there. Also, when we think about other vulnerable populations to food insecurity within Queensland, we're talking rural and remote communities, First Nations persons, elderly people, especially with their restricted ability to move around, and unemployed individuals in their ability to actually get some food. So the goal of my showcase was to kind of quantify, uh, quantify this issue. I had kind of three arms of approach where I was uh, looking to go and collect some perceptions from the community around whether food security was an issue, um, not just during COVID-19, but also going on in the background, as I was interested in that. We're also going to map some of the food relief that is available within our communities to see what the utilisation was like. And finally, we wanted to talk to some of the key community representatives that that were our kind of ear to the ground and see whether the information married up with what we were hearing from the consumers themselves. So yeah, we had three arms, um, had a few different data collection tools and um, methods, and I'll just run you through what that actually looked like. So we had, with our semi-structured interviews, we approached 20 people, got 14 responses. Our community perception survey, we got 93 responses to that in a two-week period, generally collected through hospital waiting rooms, through Facebook posts, and then our food relief mapping, we found that there were only four food relief providers within the whole Maranoa region, most of these only servicing single towns, um, predominantly Roma and none of the outlying towns of the Maranoa. Some of the key findings of the community perception survey is that you know, the response to the have you felt food insecure in the last 12 months, interestingly, we had this 27%, you know, 27% of responses said that this was going on in the background all the time, withstanding COVID-19. 27, so an equal quotient matching that response during COVID, and a further 6% saying that it was occurring during natural disasters. We get fire, drought, flood, any given 12 months, so that was to be expected as well.
Of the people that responded, yes, we looked at the frequency and you could see that this is occurring on a far more frequent basis than what had been reported previously in the food bank report. So it's not just occurring monthly, there's almost a third is also occurring on a fortnightly to daily basis um, for food insecurity. Um, some of the reasons for food insecurity within our communities was that the the lack of availability of food in the supermarkets, whether that's through a lack of money or food not being available, a lack of practical cooking skills. So that was that utilisation. So a lot of our food insecurity we're finding comes down to lack of practical skills to be able to prepare these foods as opposed to not getting enough food. Those were really interesting to me because those are things that I can then um, address on a, a primary basis. How people got by without food um, during those times was also really interesting. As you read down that middle column in the middle of the page, you'll actually start to see socially unacceptable means of procuring food being used. And this was responded to us on more than one basis, on more than one occasion, which is quite concerning. Um, if you look to the right of the page, what you'll see there is... You know, we've got things like the stigma, the pride, the embarrassment of seeking food relief. So just because it is available doesn't mean it's easy to access. Um, it's a small community. I was talking to the lady down the front here from the PAL care team about what it looks like to live in Roma, to access to birth in Roma, you know, while working for the hospital and health service. So imagine what it's like to seek food relief in a small town where if your car is parked in front of one of those service providers, people know, um, people start asking those questions. So it is quite confronting. But generally, people are saying they got by um, even though they were experiencing food insecurity. In terms of what we were able to do on the back of this, one of the big things around the food relief was that even though it was there, people didn't know what the, the mechanism for action was to, to be able to access it, weren't sure what was available when it was available. Um, there were long booking times involved in waiting to access food relief, especially vouchers, which made it really difficult for people, and people generally just got discouraged and walked away from that service. We created a little bit of a handout that was provided to the service providers to give to their clients. It's also been circulated within our health service to orientate people to food relief within our organisation, or within our community, sorry. I actually took all of this information presented at a local interagency meeting, um, and on the back of that, we've got um, the likes of Salvation creating food pantries and markets in each of the communities of the Maranoa. So a food pantry in all the small towns that are accessible for community members that are experiencing food insecurity or hardship, um, which is a really positive thing to see. I took this information, partnered with Health and Wellbeing Queensland and created a nutrition collaborative in our area. Um, we had the likes of the PHN, we had, our, we had Health and Wellbeing Queensland, we had those service providers um, all jumping on board and talking about how we can advocate for food insecurity to be an issue, um, how we can uh, look at tackling it. And the following are some of the, the initiatives that we've put in place as a result of it. To, to help address some of those skill deficiencies that we saw in the previous slides. We have run a school holiday program with young children, noting that there's a lack in the curriculum these days um, for those practical cooking skills to be addressed. We've had 114 participants jump through that program in the last 12 months, a high degree of satisfaction for $5.50 per participant, which was quite valuable for them. We've seen an increase in their ability to chop, prepare, and combine ingredients to prepare foods for their families. Um, these are kids from age of 10 upwards as well. 
we've taken a similar program into the Roma Flexible um, Learning Environment, a Flexi School, where kids from disadvantaged families are being shown how to prepare fresh foods from foods that they're commonly seeing in their pantries at home as well. And finally, um, we've partnered with Health and Wellbeing Queensland and the Good Foundation to bring uh, a previously unthought of initiative out to our area. If you've had anything to do with Jamie's Ministry of Food in the past um, and their mobile bus that sits down in, or their mobile centre that sits in Ipswich, um, the cost to get it out to Roma was going to be about $80,000 for a two-week period, which isn't really feasible. Um, we've actually worked with Jamie's Ministry of Food now to develop a train-the-trainer program, which will mean that all of the communities across the southwest have access to this type of initiative for all ages from 10 and up to train people in how to prepare fresh foods for their families. Some of the big learnings from this showcase or this initiative, sorry, is that food insecurity um, poses a big public health threat and has been further exacerbated as the result of COVID-19. You know, this has been a great opportunity to quantify this problem within our community and advocate to other community partners to force change and action within a community to help it resolve this issue. So I thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.